You're listening to an episode of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. Hello there. Thanks for tuning in this week. As ever, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen, and I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with yet another wonderful educator. Today's episode features Ronnie Vesnaver, a middle school history teacher and one of my friends and colleagues at the Pennington School. Ronnie highlights how her academic struggles during her early days as a student and her academic growth have impacted the work she does in the classroom. She and I discuss the importance of teachers sustaining their own emotional health in order to effectively serve both themselves and their students. And Ronnie talks about her work with sustainability initiatives and how she approaches cultivating an awareness and understanding within her students of what it means to be a responsible and sustainable consumer and global citizen. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a minute or two to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you're able to rate podcasts, and maybe take a minute or two to jot down a quick review outlining what you're enjoying about Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. It's all very helpful and appreciated. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ronnie. Enjoy! Hey Ronnie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So what I would like you to do is go back to the first day of school. And by that, I mean I want you to go back to your first day of full-time teaching, however you might personally um, define that. I want to know how you felt on that day, what you remember, like key things that that stand out in your memory, um, sort of how it went overall and how it might have been like indicative of your whatever first week or first year of teaching as a whole. So yeah, what what comes to mind for you when you think of the first day of school? So here at Pennington, things are a little bit different with the middle school because technically our first day of school with the kids is what's called launch. So it's like a middle school orientation when Mm -hmm. um, all the middle schoolers come in for two days and um, meet one another and kind of play games out in a big field, basically. Um, And so my very first day (laughs) um, at school here at Pennington uh, was during launch and my the head of the middle school, um, a really wonderful guy, really um, had me dress up in the um, Pennington mascot costume to welcome kids. (laughs) (laughs) And and just what, what is what is that mascot? It is, uh, we are the Red Raiders, but we're a red-tailed hawk. So uh-huh. I was wearing a big um, <laughs> red-tailed hawk costume. Um, and so it was this weird combination of feelings doing that because I was masked, so nobody really knew who I was anyways, but you still feel kind of odd because you're right. like dancing around or whatever as a bird. <laughs> um, so that was like really my first introduction to being at a school and working at a school um, and probably a pretty unique and creative uh, and um, I got to give myself some props for that, actually, because yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. not even really sure uh, that, you know, it was a normal request at all. <laughs> right. That that teachers um, usually filled that role. <laughs> no, not usually. Um, but my first day of teaching, teaching, like actually being in a classroom with students, um, I think that I probably lacked so much experience that I didn't even know to be nervous. Um, right. <laughs> like I didn't <laughs> I didn't even know what was coming. So I um I think I kind of just took it on as you know, I'm going to be in front of a group of people and I'm going to be talking and interacting. Um I 
typically don't I've never struggled really with public speaking I'm fine in front of people for the most yeah. part um, and you know I I came here as a fellow so my first year here I was teaching part of the time and then observing classes for the rest of the time mm-hmm. um, and so I actually only had one class that I was responsible for um, my life was very easy then <laughs> And um, I was shadowing, actually, Jamie Moore, who has been on the podcast before. Yes, yes, friend of the pod. Yeah, so he was sort of my mentor the first year I was here. And um, we, I mean, I kind of knew that I had his curriculum and his teaching style almost to kind of ride on. Um, And so those components of me being in a classroom weren't so nerve-wracking. And then, like I said, I think I just, I lacked an understanding for what I should be (laughs) nervous about. Yeah. I'd also, um, in college, I had been a museum docent, so I'd done a lot of sort of public education. I had spoken in front of people about content before, mm-hmm. um, so I think it, it was sort of a natural um, thing to step into, but I think a lot of my um, calmness <laughs> uh, really just is because I had no idea. Like, I yeah. just had no yeah. idea. <laughs> I- ignorance truly was bliss in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes. Well, and it sounds like uh, your your first like actual experience with education or like, as a full time teacher in terms of like being like in the mascot costume and like having to sort of like dance around and like serve as an entertainer probably was in many ways emblematic of like the work that you would have to do like as a middle school teacher as well. So it probably was Absolutely. a very appropriate way to begin in terms of like yeah serving as both an educator and an entertainer, which I feel is something that particularly middle school teachers have to have to do in a lot of ways. Yeah, very true. Um, how would you characterize like that first year just like as a whole of like of being a fellow? Um, and and do, do you feel like you learned pretty quickly, like the things that you would have to be worried about and would have to be nervous about that you may have lacked like in those first few days or weeks or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I was really lucky where I landed, um, especially being in the middle school my first year, um, because it's a, I mean, it's sort of maybe a smaller community of people with some pretty um, awesome faculty members who Mm -hmm. um, really took me under their wing and um, guided and supported me from the start. Um, And so I think, you know, my first year was... Um, because I because I was only really teaching one class and um, I had so much support, especially from Jamie, um, you know, I I felt kind of confident by the end of the year that I was capable, that I could do this work, um, that I that I did kind of begin to anticipate what kinds of things I needed to look out for or that I should be worried about. Right. Um, I think that understanding has certainly only increased as time has gone on. But right. Um, yeah, I think my first year here, because of the the support that was just sort of given to me, um, I felt I felt very like at ease and ready um, to start my second year full time, which was a whole nother experience <laughs> and a whole right. nother like I really feel like my second year teaching was like my first year teaching because yeah. I all of a sudden had four classes that I was teaching and two of them were in the upper school. Um, and two of them were in the middle school. So I was splitting time. I was learning a new culture in the upper school, learning a new age group because I was working with sophomores who are vastly different than seventh graders. Um, yes. So that was, I mean, it, that that probably, my second year was really my, my difficult year. Um, and yeah. I think my second year was really when I began to like, I think truly understand all that teaching was going to be 
asking of me and demanding out of me as a person, but also as like just a professional. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and every single year sort of has like its own challenges. Like I feel like there are very much like first year challenges, but then there are also like second year challenges because you have like that first year under your belts yeah. and you have like expectations, but they're not really grounded in any like really good evidence or whatever. Right. So in a lot of ways, like the second year has its own challenges and then the third year. So I just, I, I know I'm thinking a lot yeah. about that. I feel like I'm kind of like reteaching no, myself every single year. Yeah. I mean, I think teaching is that. I don't know, you know, in listening to your podcast and <laughs> right. in talking to people that I work with, I don't know that any year is ever like, oh, I got this. Like, yeah. I, I know what I'm doing all the time. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's just that is just sort of um, the way it the way it goes with teaching. And I also, you know, I also I think the thing about this my second year also is that like, in addition to just the difficulties of teaching, you never know kind of the way that your personal life can play out in yeah oh yeah in your professional life as much as you want to keep them separate, you know. Um, and I know so like for me, for example, I you know I think my second year was when a lot of sort of personal. Um, issues kind of came to head with what I was doing at school and you know certainly there was these like pressures and these these um, all this new stuff I was having to learn and do because it was my first full-time year but yeah it was also just like these other um, like outlying aspects and components of my life that I had no control over um, yeah that and you never you just never know how that's gonna like just like drastically maybe alter the way that your year shapes out yeah i mean and in a sense that's kind of what inspired me to start this podcast because i know for me personally my first few years of teaching were filled with so much personal stuff that really made me think about that like separation between like your your public self that you know you bring into the classroom mm -hmm. but also like your the, the personal self and like the internal stuff you're going with and how like there is such pressure to keep those two things separated I think partially just because like that's how we as a culture tend to you know regard professionalism but also I think working with kids and working in that kind of environment there is especially when they're also going through all of their stuff there is that pressure to really kind of like hold strong and like make sure that like you are you know as stable or appear to be as stable as you can be mm -hmm. and that is that can be hard especially when like there isn't we don't have as many people checking in with us in the same way that they that we're expected to check in with our kids and be mm -hmm. mindful about our kids and yeah. I think it's expected that like everyone has their own personal like configuration of their life and their own like you know their own people that they can talk to about these things but like that isn't always the case um, yeah. especially in these boarding school environments yeah well and I think I think that was like part of my struggle during my second year was like trying to figure out like who I could emote the things that I was dealing with too like yeah and how and even like I guess even that I was struggling and who to go to help to and what things to ask for help for was something that I just like never I had never faced the level of, of adversity I was facing that year. And I, so I never knew, like, even when I needed help, I think I always was just someone who, like, figured it out on my own. And I yeah. never knew, like, how to ask for help. But, like, even beyond that, like, what to ask for help for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there was a lot that, a lot that came out of that, that second year for me be, because of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
So let's go back uh, a little bit farther. So I'm curious about the moment when you realized that you wanted to be a teacher, that you wanted to be involved in education um, to some to some degree. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I I guess I um, I entered teaching in a really uh, different way than most. I didn't even think about teaching as an occupation until probably my junior year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in college, I was actually an American studies major and also art history um, because I thought I was going to work in museums. So mm-hmm. um, I was brought up moving around quite a bit. I um, was born in Illinois, but my family and I um, lived in England for a year and a half, uh, almost two years. And mm-hmm. um, we knew living there that we that it was a short time frame we were going to be there for. So my parents really took advantage of the time that we were there and um, we traveled a lot. Um, so if we weren't in another country, like we would spend every weekend, like every minute of every weekend at yeah. some castle or some museum or um, and so from the start, I um, I grew up learning about history in like in the places that it happened a lot of times, yeah. you know, and that like really brought history alive for me so from the start I like already had sort of this inclination towards um towards history but also towards maybe like experiential learning and um just different different means of of engaging and learning history Mm -hmm. um, and social studies so that's what made me want to be in in the museum field um and so throughout college I worked um as like a curatorial intern I I did some education work in museums. I was I was a museum docent, like I said. So I, I had done, um, and I had worked in all different kinds of museums. I'd worked in history museums. I'd worked in art museums. Mm-hmm. Um, I had worked in a historic house museum with like American decorative arts because I love sort of the materiality of history. Like I love right. objects, which is really yeah. weird, but I do. Um, I also had parents that were like, they love antiques. So I grew mm-hmm. up in antique shops um yeah so like you were always just like very engaged with and familiar just like familiar with the idea of like the physical embodiment of history or like actually physically being in the space or experiencing some element of history exactly exactly um and so i that's why like museums to me was like just sort of a natural fit um but in my time at museums i the other the other part of me is that i'm a very practical person so i need like being actually an American studies major was really wonderful because we were talking about like the way that race and ethnicity and religion and all these different identities play out in American culture. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. awesome. But I used to bang my head up against a wall by the end of a class period because I'd be like, (laughs) okay, we've talked about this enough and we can pat ourselves on the back because we know about the prison industrial complex and, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever. And, but like, like what comes from this, you know? And so I really needed to, I need something that feels practical. And what I found in museums, at least the settings that I had been in were, they were filled with a lot of very scholarly people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, which is awesome and great. um, But they really liked to talk scholarly, like all the time. Yeah. And for a long time, I thought I wanted to be a curator. And what I just discovered about curators is that most of their job is just like hobnobbing with benefactors. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I actually think I'd be capable of doing that. Yeah. But I don't know. I wouldn't 
enjoy it. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I struggled with, like, the practicality of, mu- of a museum. Like, who is a museum for? Um, why do people in museums do the work they do? Mm-hmm. You know, are we really engaging with a large public? Or are museums kind of places where wealthy, white, older people go and right. school children go who don't really know? Want to be or, there. Or, yeah, don't want to be there or are presented with material that is out of context and makes no sense to them. Yeah. Um, and so kind of through that experience, I was like more and more, I was like, well, wouldn't it be neat to kind of be able to be in a classroom and see a group of kids over a period of time and like be able to maybe in- like basically incorporate some of the things that are that are practiced in museums um, mm-hmm. in an actual classroom setting and to feel like you're actually like having an impact of some kind and not just stuck in some stuffy museum where you're schmoozing with wealthy people who are going to donate you money and yeah. you know and sharing information with people who maybe don't want to be there anyways um yeah so that's that's kind of how i ended up in teaching um and i'd say like i'd say it's been a really good fit for me because of all those things like i needed a job that was active like i need i need to be on my feet i i don't think i'd be very great or well served sitting behind a desk all day long um yeah and it just feels like a practical way to engage people um and specifically students young kids with um with content that i love um and then the other component of it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, real time is that like there's also summer vacation which is really really right cool. <laughs> like I right. I'm someone who really values my free time and especially my summertime um and so that was like a feature of it that I was like oh well, that's also really cool and I'm not gonna lie like it yeah. was something that like drew me a little bit to um to the work so yeah that makes sense yeah to cite um my most recent guest on the podcast um Gautam he was mentioning how uh when someone was talking about like the like why he should go into teaching um this guy said to Gautam like I'll give you three really good reasons why you should go into teaching June July and (laughs) August (laughs) which I'd never heard before but I think it's really great although the way that our schedule works we only get like part of June and all of July and part of August but the the point still stands um well and it sounds like you just engaging with with museums and really critically thinking about why you're doing the work there in terms of like who is this for are we presenting the information in a way that's really contextualized probably serves you really well as a teacher of history or the social studies or the humanities right because that's something you have to really be questioning especially i think in a private school or independent school setting of like who is this for are we presenting in a way where it makes sense and is actually practical for the kids right that they don't walk away banging their own heads against their own walls and saying, like, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of this? Because they they do need it to be really contextualized in a way that is practical for them at that age. Like, they just aren't capable of that level of abstract thinking as much as adults are. So probably those initial questions that led you out of the realm of, like, museum work and into teaching probably is serving you really well as a teacher in terms of, like, effectively communicating the information to your students. Yeah, What's also interesting because I think it's like I think those yeah that like practical aspect of of my thinking I think is actually also like my favorite part of what I do like I love asking like why am I doing this like why like why am I teaching this content why am I teaching it in this way 
you know? And yeah. is this serving my students the way that it should be? Yeah. Um, and then the other side of that is like the content itself and like questioning, like, why are we teaching this thing? Like, yeah. Is this really important to understanding American history or are there other things, most likely yes, that <laughs> should <laughs> right. be in every classroom around the nation? And so that yeah. like that especially, like thinking about perspectives that are not usually in history classes um, frequently that that is something that like really gets me going and gets me excited to build curriculum and to um, to engage with students. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so let's keep going back. And I'd like to hear a little bit about what you were like as a student. Uh, I think you can think about that in terms of whatever makes sense as a starting point, middle school, high school, college. Um, but I'm curious about what you were like as a student and as a learner and just ways in which that has impacted you or has kind of shaped your own approach as an educator? So I guess I, I can start at the beginning. <laughs> I, um, I like elementary school, I was not a terrible student, but I really particularly struggled with reading. Um, and mm-hmm. my mom says it's because I, um, I'm a bit pretty impatient person. So <laughs> I um, want to be able to do the thing without having to take the steps to get there. So my mom says that I wanted to be able to read without learning the ABCs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so I was not a great reader I was in special reading classes from uh, kindergarten all the way through probably fifth grade Mm -hmm. Um, and um, probably in those classes most frequently like in my third grade year of school and uh, you know those it's interesting thinking about some of my students here at Pennington who have various learning differences I you know I I think about my own experience and I I think I was lucky enough to never feel singled out because mm-hmm. of the struggles I was having or to never feel odd or weird about those things um, right and in fact I actually think that being with a reading specialist a couple times a week um, especially in my third grade year like helped me feel confident and able and when I was in kindergarten like there was an assignment the teacher was like okay you're all gonna pick a book out of the bookcase and you're gonna go home and read it and I went home and I was like mom the teacher like wants us to read these things I don't know how to read (laughs) right and so it was like literally starting in kindergarten I just like felt like I didn't have the ability to do those things and I was nervous and shy about saying that to anyone yeah but my yeah that that third grade year especially I think um I I felt I felt confident because of the teacher that I was working with yeah. And so then by middle school, I had pretty much overcome that, that like reading hurdle. Um, and middle school and high school, I was a pretty high performing student. I'm someone who's like task initiation, especially in high school, middle school was not a problem for me. Like if you mm-hmm. gave me an assignment, I almost like had anxiety well up inside of me so much so that when I went home, like I would just sit right down at the kitchen table and get my homework done. And do done. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like my parents never, ever, ever had to tell me to do my homework or to check on the assignments that I was doing it was just I did it yeah that being said I think I was also never a student that was recognized because I definitely was not like the top performing student so right even in high school um and in middle school to some extent I was in um you know advanced classes I was in always in an honors math class um took AP sciences when I 
both in my junior and senior year and took AP history my, at the latter half of my high school year and um, honors French class. So like pretty much across the board, I was taking advanced classes, but um, I was probably the, one of the lower performing students in those advanced classes. Right. Um, and which, you know, I, I didn't in, impact me or bother me all that much. I do remember sometimes like talking to kids and it was like they understood chemistry before we were even taught chemistry and i didn't <laughs> i right. did not understand that i was like yeah how do you just know that you know right um but you know so and i i you know i think i also provided for some comic relief in those classes because i was not only was i one of the lower performing students in those classes i was not quiet about my <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> low performance so like in math class for example Anyone I went to high school with who was in my math class will tell you this, which is that, like, like I was just, like, the laughing stock of the class. <laughs> because, right. like, if I didn't get something, I'd be like, well, I don't get it. And if I right, did right. get something, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Like, right. I just, like, you know, that was – I wasn't quiet about my experience right. in that class. And my math teacher particularly liked to pick on me, so. Ah, right. So – and so I – and I, I think the other thing, you know, that I've really un- started thinking about – as a teacher is I see all these students that are like so utterly engaged in their learning, like who just go and do things that have nothing to do with what we, what was assigned to them. But it's like, it's a way to dig further into the topic we're doing. Yeah. And I never did that kind of thing. Like, I feel like, yeah, I always liked learning, especially history class. History class was always a wonderful thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I had some really great history teachers. But I never, I never went the extra mile ever. And yeah. so seeing some of my kids in school today, I'm like, wow, these kids are really awesome. Like I never did that ever. Yeah. And so then, so then going into college, I, um, I think I, I, well, I have a, I struggle with anxiety pretty in, in, in high college, it was probably pretty significant mm-hmm. and it plays itself out primarily in social settings. I like, I lack self-esteem and self-confidence and, um, I really the shift into college was tough for me mm-hmm. um, because of that. Uh, it was a different kind of um, subset of students I was around. Um, I had gone to a private school for high school, but my college was also a private college mm-hmm. that had kids that had come from even more kind of esteemed boarding schools and other private yeah. schools. And I just I didn't know I I, I lacked confidence interacting with a lot of those kinds of people i guess yeah and so college for me i i dug into my studies i think in a way that i'd never before um because i was enjoying them and because there were some really wonderful resources on campus for me and some great professors who really engaged me um but i think it was also a little bit of like an excuse for like why i can't go out to dinner with these people or why i'm not going to be at the party tonight or um, why I'm going to go to bed tonight instead of hanging out until three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Right. Um, right. was like, it was my studies that it was like, I was just going to go to the library and do my work. And that kind of became my safe place. And there's, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I got a lot out of college, um, and learned a lot about what I wanted to do professionally and what I cared about in a way that I, I hadn't done in high school because I just, I wasn't digging into my studies in the same way. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's definitely like a transformation just in terms of like you gaining comfort like with who you are as a learner and the way that you learn and then also being aware of just like yeah like like you you mentioning how 
your anxiety started to sort of like flare up in a way like in college and mm-hmm. I'm sure like that in some ways probably transferred over to like your you know your time as as a teacher right because like that brings up a whole different opportunity for anxiety and, and things that might yeah might trigger that so yeah. yeah it's kind of interesting how like there's these two sort of like different forces that are like develop that you're developing an awareness of, of which is like who you are and the way that you're mm-hmm. the way that you're wired yeah um so how how has that impacted like the way that you the way that you approach your work as an educator yeah I mean so I think there's maybe a couple ways to answer that the first part is because I like really started engaging with my studies and like with the world when I was in college in a lot of ways I feel like I'm only just (laughs) discovering the world in a way that maybe kids should in high school so like (laughs) I have a lot of activities that I really like to do like and and those activities are very important to me as as a professional because if I didn't do those things outside of school I like wouldn't I wouldn't be able to function as a teacher yeah um and and those activities are a direct result of me like finally exploring and and finally trying new things and not just doing my homework and sitting on a tv and and sitting down on the couch and watching tv you know yeah um and so i kind of like sometimes i'm like wow like i have like all these activities i really want to do and i love (laughs) and it's like i'm it's like i'm a middle school student who's just discovering like how to bike or like, yeah. <laughs> like um, and that's really awesome and engaging. And that's really that's been super important to me um, in my professional l- life. Um, so there's that. Right. Because that's that part of my trajectory has helped me, I think, be a, a more focused person in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and I think with my own students, I I try to be super aware of what is going on with each kid individually. You know, yeah. I really, I really like want to know. I'm a, I'm a curious person, um, as you know. People at Pennington do sometimes cause me, call me Nosy the Elf <laughs> because they ask a lot of questions, <laughs> and I just want to know about people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so with my students, I, I, I want to know like where they are. I guess sort of in relation to my own trajectory. Like, are they a kid who hears? something in class and decides to go do some crazy project because they heard this one thing that really excited them. Yeah. Or are they a kid who is just doing what they need to do to get by and is actually maybe struggling to feel confident about their grades or um, themselves academically or, or even themselves socially. Um, and you know, what, what is my role? How as a teacher can I help expand that, push them further Um make them see the value in their work and in their presence at Pennington Middle School. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, does that answer the question? Yeah, no, it totally answers the question. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there are like an infinite number of ways that our experiences, like whatever, like as students or just like as people growing up can impact, you know, our our teaching experience or can can manifest themselves like in our teaching approach. So yeah. this, it's a complicated question. I acknowledge that for sure. <laughs> um, so that... I think in a lot of ways um, phases really well into my next question, which is I, I want you to think about the way that we as educators and we as teachers fail our students or what it looks like when we fail our students, both as as individual teachers and also as as a system as a whole. Um, and I'm in particular curious about like what it looks like when you you yourself, like when you feel you are failing your students, but you should feel free to also talk about, yeah, just the, the system as a whole and what that looks like when we're not serving our students as, as well as we should. Um, 
That's a big question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but I've heard it before because I listen to your podcast. So, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I think for me, I think when I have failed my students, and actually I think going, it's this is again going back to my second year of teaching. Mm-hmm. When I have failed my students is when I lack presence. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean a couple of things by that. But so to take that second year as an example, that second year, there were all of these personal factors that were coming together and crashing in at one time. Yeah. Mostly having to do with my anxiety that I hadn't been dealing with for like years. Right. Because in college, I struggled with it, didn't put a name to it, didn't even really recognize it as what it was. Um, and that anxiety really like pulled me away from being present in class Mm -hmm. and when I wasn't happy when I wasn't engaged excited enthusiastic totally out of my mind just energized to be in the classroom my kids were the same way yeah so and so I'm not really talking about like one day when I'm sad right 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 like I actually think there's value in one day having a bad day and your kids seeing that. Like I yeah, think it's absolutely. good for students to see that teachers are teachers and that people are gonna have different experiences one day from an up to another. Yeah, and it provides you an opportunity to name it as well. Exactly. And, prov- and give that sort of model that level of self awareness and like that that pr- that um, practice of of naming it and identifying it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, but so what I am talking about is like prolonged. Just, yeah. like, unhappiness that w- had nothing really to do with my job and so much more to do with my personal life that I was not tending to. Yeah. So, like, that's the first prong for me is, like, of this idea of presence, I think, is, like, taking care of yourself and your life so that you – and it sounds, I guess, cliche, but, like, so that when you're in class, you're there and you're, you're yeah. there for the kids. Um, the other part of it, I think, is that when you – at least with middle school, when – and I, th- I think this is totally true in the upper school as well. When you lack an ability to be aware of the dynamics between students in a classroom, when you are not able to see that Sally calls Joe a mean name or that, you know, Susie isn't talking that day. Yeah. Or even that, like – um, Mary is being super boisterous and loud and taking away from a classroom dynamic that if you aren't able to recognize those things and call them out on those things not necessarily in the moment but like pulling them aside after class and saying Sally why are you sad today like what's going on right when yeah. you aren't able to be aware and present enough and it's it's like not even just presence it's also just like taking action after that right Yeah. when you don't do those things like it has an amazing impact on who that kid is by the end of the year, by how that child interacts with other students, by how kids perceive you as an adult yeah. um, and how much they trust you and how much of a safe environment you're actually creating in a classroom space. And yeah. without that, like you don't have a classroom. Yeah. So, so that is also something in terms of like presence that I think is super important. And yeah, I think, I think that's sort of like, that's when I feel like I've failed my kids. Like when I'm not present enough to to be energized, to be ready, to be happy and excited to be there and also to yeah. like recognize kids for where there are. Oh, and, and actually on that same level, like where 
recognizing where kids are academically, how sure. where are they failing, why are they failing, um, and not meeting them with where they are with that. Um, so I think it's like those those three things, like just being present. Yeah, yeah, being being present and also like paying attention to like what what they're doing, how they're feeling, just like the different yeah like patterns that are emerging. And I'm I'm struck by what you said about like how like neglect when it comes to addressing those things that might be coming up for them like might affect not only like who they are but also yeah like how they view you as a teacher and also just how they view like the hour-long chunk of their day where they're going to be in your classroom like that's my biggest fear as a student or sorry that's my biggest fear as a teacher is like that there might be students out there who look at my class with dread not because it's boring or because like they don't like english or honestly because like they just don't love me like my yeah. personality doesn't jive with with theirs which is i totally think i know has been the case with my students and i'm actually totally fine with that i'm aware that not everyone everyone's cup of tea and i don't i don't much care about that <laughs> but it's just the idea that like they might look at my class as just like a thing of that they look at with total and utter dread and yeah. they don't where they don't feel safe and that's mm-hmm. like that's the thing that i just always want to like fight against and do everything in my power to prevent to, to the extent that I can. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've been thinking about that so much lately, I think because of, um, to get political, that because sure. of the Kavanaugh <laughs> hearings and the kind of person that at least I saw come to life yeah. um, in those hearings, um, who was a man that I, I went to high school with a bunch of Judge Kavanaugh's. Sure. And yeah. um, looking back, and this is not, I mean, I had so many wonderful educators at my high school, and I think it was a different time in general, which sounds weird because I'm not that old, but I just think it right. was a different time. Yeah. And there's so many conversations that happened in front of teachers, so many dynamics that played out in front of teachers between girls and boys that just were not directly addressed. Yeah. And, like, that's how you have a Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. And, and so I think about that so much now because of the way, like, I know that there, there there were boys who today, if I saw them on the street, I would not want anything to do with them. Yeah. Like, I yeah. wouldn't, because of the fact that it wasn't the culture at the school I was at to shut that down for yeah. a teacher to step in and say, what are you doing? Like, that's, yeah. that what you just said is hurtful and not okay. And let's stop this. Yeah. Um, so I think about that constantly. Yeah. I, I was actually recently having a conversation with, someone that we work with about that and kind of saying like that I almost wish I had done more to talk about it with my students not in terms of in terms of kind of saying like look regardless of what how you feel about him and whether or not he did those specific things what did come up from that whole thing was just like a pattern of behavior and a way of talking about women and a way of joking about women that is is problematic again regardless of if you think that it actually happened or not like we we should be able to all agree that that is problematic and i think that we as as private school teachers there's a certain level of obligation that we have to identify that type of behavior and realize that like it exists and it continues to exist and it's Mm -hmm. not new and it's probably not going to go away unless we really name it and 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 make it clear that it's not okay but also create like an obligation on on students to be able to call each other out on it and it's just it's very complicated and it, it kind of it goes back to what you were saying about like your museum work it's made me think a lot about like who who are we doing this for who is this education system for just like the independent school system in general yep. 
and I and I'm able to sleep well at, at night with the work that I do. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's important, but it does make us really think about like, well, what are we doing here? And if we're not using this opportunity to really identify things like privilege, not in like the way that we usually talk about it, because it is such like a sort of buzzword that I think does cause people to shut down. Yeah. But not just talking about like the racial privilege or the gender privilege, but also talking about like the class privilege and mm-hmm. being able to really talk about it, not to the point where we're like making kids feel bad, but just allowing them to identify their own privilege and identify yep. that that's going to be at work. Yep. But it's, it yep. is, it's hard to do that because we, we I think, feel, we just worry that we're going to, yeah, like make them feel bad or make them feel like guilty about right. having money or being able to afford the opportunity to go right. to a school like this. But it's, I think it's a part of the work that we have to do. Otherwise, we're, I think we are, in a sense, failing. Well, and I think we're not developing. I mean, yeah, of course, school is for learning and being academic. But I think so much of school is like developing just people (laughs) who are good people, you know, and developing social and emotional people who um, understand how to be nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I really want at the end of the day is just to create nice people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as we moved into the into the final stages of our conversation, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about just sort of your own large takeaways that you've stumbled onto, like in your time as an educator, um, something that mm-hmm. you might be like particularly mindful of right now, or maybe just something that you've like learned that you have to remind yourself of um, in order for you to be an effective teacher. Or you could think about it in terms of like communicating to a new teacher um, something that they that they should keep in mind if they are to succeed or or be as effective as they could be yeah um I think firstly that teaching is about learning which is probably why I love this job because yeah. I am I am a eternal learner I am actually in a graduate program right now um mm-hmm. because I and you're doing that while while you're teaching yes right? exactly <laughs> part-time student full-time teacher um <laughs> And that's something I share with my students. Like, they know I'm in school, and we talk yeah. about that. But so, yeah, that, like, like teaching, you can never do it right. And that was, I think, my first struggle with teaching. Like, I really – that really bothered me for a while. And I – like, I just – it was the thing that really dragged me down was, like, I'm never going to be good at this. Yeah. But now I'm like, that's awesome because it's something that pushes me to be better and work harder and to learn more – about the world but also just like about myself as a person and about how other people are and that like that is teaching to me teaching is learning um yeah and like that is something that like i when i stop trying to learn more content stop trying to learn more about how to teach that's when i know like i will be an ineffective teacher like when i stop doing that um and that's when i know like i might need to reconsider either what i'm doing or or that teaching at all like if i'm not doing those things then then that shows personally for me at least that that i've lost i've lost teaching yeah yeah (laughs) Um, and so i think that's super important and i think that's been you know talked a lot about on your show because i think that's just an experience for so many teachers yeah well no yeah that that's true but it's also worth like reinforcing i think it's it's useful to hear that from someone like you who who like me is is a young teacher and and you're identifying that like very early on and you know that that's something that you're going to need to be mindful of and and attend to yeah Um, because i think it is easy to look back on it or easier when you've been teaching for like 10 or 15 years and say like i'm not really getting any better at this and that's okay like maybe that's not the purpose of this but to be able to like identify that right off the bat i think i think you save yourself a lot of like emotional labor yeah um, 
Yeah. Which is great. And also, like, growing comfortable with that. Because it's an uncomfortable thing to say, like, I'm never going to be good at this. Like, I yeah. don't understand this. I feel like a fraud. Like, I feel like, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a whole – that's definitely a really important aspect of teaching for me. Um, but I think the other thing that's been so important that I – would definitely tell a new teacher is that like so much of your success has to do with who you surround yourself by mm-hmm. or with uh, whatever preposition you use it's <laughs> <laughs> um, the judgment free zone <laughs> <laughs> the the times when i've struggled the most is when i i wasn't interacting with people who could help me and support me just as a yeah. friend but also certainly as a professional and also, the times when I was most unhappy was when I was talking to people who or hanging around with people who were also not happy, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, like, right. finding the people that you can go to who you know are enthusiastic, that will pick you up, that will guide you and support you in formal and informal ways, like, finding that mentor or group of mentor or people you have in your corner is so unbelievably important like my i wouldn't be even the small amount of competent that i am right now i wouldn't be that (laughs) without all the people that that i've come across in my couple years teaching now um yeah without their support and so that like that has just been um you know i like even i can i can pinpoint times when i was at my lowest and even a new person that I met or a newer friend that I made, like, completely turned that experience around for me. Yeah. You know, last year, for example, really great year for me. Had I not started working with a colleague of mine that I did in the beginning of the year, like, the rest of the year, who knows how it would have gone. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's I think, another really key and important thing, probably in all professions, really. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, tell me a little bit about the work that you do with sustainability. Yeah, so I know that... that's something you're really passionate about, and you're doing a lot of really important work um, here at Pennington in that regard. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's actually I was making the person I was just talking about at the third oh. year of my teaching, <laughs> right. um, Dr. Margot Andrews, who's a wonderful lady. Um, yes, she and I had always been friends in school, and then um, starting last fall, um, she had asked me to co-chair the sustainability committee with her. Um, she is the environmental educator on campus and um, needed someone to help her. And she knows that I'm just the most enthusiastic <laughs> about all kinds of things, but especially the topic of sustainability. Um, yeah. And uh, which is weird because I never studied, you know, environmental science. I never right, studied right. like environmental policy even. But it's something that I um, it's one of those things, actually, that in my college years I like discovered. And I was like, well, like the earth (laughs) (laughs) right and it became like it became so important to me um and i think actually a lot of a lot of it has to do with the fact that i grew up um uh, near the coast and um on the water um and so i'm an ocean lover i um i did do a semester in college that was a maritime studies semester so i um and, and that semester had me taking maritime history class a marine policy class a mm-hmm. uh, marine ecology class and then like a maritime lit class and all of those things actually that field more and more has been really environmentally focused mm-hmm. um so thinking about like the history of the ocean as like a factor and what goes on what's going on in the ocean physically and, and biologically um 
and and like what that means for the world basically um yeah and so that was a really wonderful program and i think really like opened my eyes to to thinking about um how society and culture and the economy all like intersects and functions with the environment and how as humans we have this you know we think of ourselves outside of of the environment but we're not we're living in the environment and and what we do directly impacts where we live and because of that we have an undeniable responsibility for stewarding the space that we're in in a way that works for everyone living in that space yeah um and i because of just that passion margot very kindly asked me to coach her with her um, and it's been really really wonderful like that that part of my job has been this outlet that has inspired me in so many ways that mm-hmm. has driven me forward with my work in the classroom though what i teach has nothing to do necessarily um right at least on on its yeah like at first glance right um with sustainability but it like because i found this other passion of mine it's just it's helped me to be a better teacher and to be a better community member um yeah. and we've done a lot of really wonderful things just in the past year um uh so we we've implemented meatless mondays on campus and Mm -hmm. we are about to implement a new composting system on campus and we're working on building our our recycling Mm -hmm. (laughs) program which is really not great um right but yeah the reason i think that work also has super made me just energized that made no sense but um (laughs) yeah i got you is that, it, again, it's that practical piece, right? So that yeah. you're learning about the environment, you're learning about the way the world works, you're learning about economics, you're learning about cultures, you're learning about um, even history. It's sort of just like systems, right? You're, th- you're learning about those systems. And you can have a practical impact on how those things play out. Yeah. You know, and like I think given the way that our environment is going today. <laughs> right. Um to not engage students with that material it wouldn't be great like i don't think in addition right to like not teaching our kids to be (laughs) aware of you know class and race and gender and sexuality it is also our responsibility as educators to teach them about the environment and the way that we as humans impact that environment and that we as humans directly determine what our future looks like for for our children and our children's children and so on and so forth yeah well it goes back to this idea of just like wanting our kids to be like good kind people right and expanding that definition of good and kind to also like respecting like being being good stewards of like the world that we live in you know it's it's not just like a hey you know like you should really recycle if you don't want to like i get that it's inconvenient but actually kind of upping the stakes and being like no 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 like you need to do this yeah you need to do this it's just as important as you know, any number of other social Mm -hmm. issues or other obligations that we're talking about in the classroom and and out of the classroom. Yeah. Well, and uh, the other cool thing, like even that, what you were just saying, like you need to recycle, right? Like even that conversation, I just think is, is like part of why I love the work I'm doing with Margot because, Mm -hmm. you know, for us, like we want to just sit down and have the conversation. Like, why aren't you recycling? Like, yeah. let's get this to the meat of that. Let's discuss that with you. And maybe maybe there's a real good reason why you're not recycling. Yeah. And maybe there's a way for us to meet in the middle or to like yeah. at least learn about 
why this problem is happening and like see you and f- and meet you where you are yeah while also like sharing that like recycling is important and like maybe yeah. we need to come up with a system that works for all of us yeah um so yeah it's been that's been really important to me as a professional and just in my personal life and just in giving me passion to to teach and to be with students and to engage in the world also so yeah makes sense well you're doing really great work in that sense and really Mm -hmm. important work that has needed to be done for a long time it sounds like so it appears to be working thanks as much as any as much (laughs) as any initiative works (laughs) right So as we move into the very final stage here, um, Mm -hmm. as a listener of the podcast, you know what is about to happen. Um, So I have a little bit of a challenge for you. Um, What I'd like you to do is capture your essence as an educator or sort of pitch yourself as an educator to the best of your ability um, in just 30 seconds. So I have 30 seconds on the clock. Okay. Um, As as a listener of the podcast and someone who's heard it. Yeah many times before any any initial any initial reactions any initial i've heard initial thoughts i mean yes i've heard other people do this <laughs> and it's just a hard it's hard it's all yeah it's, yeah <laughs> i understand i understand one of these days i will get a dose of my own of my own medicine so i will see what it's going to be like to be on the other on the other side of it um okay awesome so i have 30 seconds on the clock i will let you know when you have 10 seconds left and uh we'll go ahead and start in three two one go as an educator so to be in my classroom is to be in an energized space in a space that's um, enthusiastic in a space that is kind and thoughtful that is um that is working with students to meet them where they are and find out what makes them energized and enthusiastic and excited to be there Cool. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's is, right. Is, the, okay. is the I don't know included in the is that included in the <laughs> <Yeah>. description? <laughs> Just end it with I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, um, what I'm gonna have you do now is in the in the second round is I'm gonna have you do that again. Okay. Picture yourself as an educator. Capture your essence as an educator. Um, this time in ten seconds. Okay. Right. So I've got ten seconds on I the clock. I forgot a word that I want to use, but now I'll remember it. Perfect. This, yeah. Well, you get so you get another another shot. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. All right. So I'm gonna go ahead and start in three, two, one, go. Energized, inclusive, thoughtful, empathetic. Perfect. Awesome. Um, now what I'll have you do is just capture your essence as an educator, uh, which given the way that you just you just did it in the, the 10 second round should be pretty easy um, uh, in just one single word one word can i combine two words to make one <laughs> like a compound <laughs> compound word i'm gonna say no <laughs> okay um i think you know what i'll go i'll go back to that question you asked about how when we fail students and i i don't know if i'm always this but this is what i want to be what i what I want to be is present. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I actually thought that might be the word that you use. <laughs> so, no, that's great. That definitely checks out in a lot of ways. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, 
thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Ronnie. Um, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, really, like since I developed the idea for the podcast. Um, <laughs> and the timing just hasn't really worked out in a lot of ways. But yeah. I'm glad that I could uh, get you on the podcast. Um, well, I'm excited to have finally made it on a podcast because you know how much I listen. <laughs> yes. to all podcasts. <laughs> That's true. Now you are you are you are podcast famous. You're I can, you officially uh... made it. I can start a sentence with this one time I was listening to a podcast and uh, yeah. this girl Ronnie said. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, and just like in general, like it's 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 cool to sort of have, you know, younger people on the podcast, like people who are in the early stages of their teaching career because I think that's like a very unique experience, but I also just appreciate like your willingness to sort of talk about and going back to like what I said earlier, this in a lot of ways like the heart of the podcast is like getting an opportunity to focus on like the things that aren't talked about mm-hmm. very often when yeah. it comes to like conversations with teachers. And I think just like you sharing like your, you know, the sort of difficulties that you encountered in your first few years and even just like that, you know, that need to articulate what you're going through and to not hide that and sort of name that is something that like I just really appreciate uh, as well. And I think it's, again, it's a big part of what I think makes these conversations work. And uh, I think it's important for other folks to hear, both like people who are educators, but people who are not as, as well. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I could be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Ronnie. Really appreciate it. My thanks to Ronnie for taking the time to speak with me. Once again, if you enjoyed the conversation, please rate, review, and share the podcast with someone who might enjoy the work we're doing. This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay. Our associate producer is Emily Moeller. Our cover art is by Katie Cooper. And our theme music is You Need a Visa by Really From. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week for another episode featuring another teacher and another story.